Hi there, and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur's podcast. I'm Bob Gentle, and every week I'm joined by creators, consultants, and practitioners who share what makes their business work. Whether you run your own business or you're just thinking of stepping out on your own for the first time, you're in the right place. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome along. Just take a second right now to subscribe to the show in your podcast player. That way you don't miss new weekly episodes and you can dig into some older ones when you finish this one. Before I introduce this week's guest, I just want to welcome a few new Facebook group members. Kai K, I hope I got that right. Carol and Joel, welcome to the group. Don't forget to introduce yourselves. Again, if you're new to the show, then you'll want to join our Facebook group. Just search Amplify Insiders on Facebook. This week, my guest is Rob DaCosta. Rob works with agencies to break through the problem of if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always got. This was a fascinating interview, and I'm really excited to share it with you. So welcome along, and let's meet Rob. So this week, I'm delighted to welcome Rob DaCosta from DaCosta Coaching to the podcast. Rob, do you want to tell, tell us just a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of thing you do? Sure. Great. Great to be here, Bob. So um, I'm Rob DaCosta and for the past 13 years, I have been coaching and training with um, SME creative marketing agencies. And I do that both face to face and via Skype. And I also do some group uh, training sessions, both again, face to face in the classroom for my clients, as well as providing a series of online learning courses um, and prior to starting the cost of coaching i started grew and sold my own marketing agency uh, back in 92 to 2003 so i think this gives me a fairly kind of unique insight into my clients and an ability to empathize with the different stages of their agencies and what they're going through yeah and you, you spent a little while at edelman as well uh, yes yeah so I looked, I looked them up on linkedin seven thousand employees that's yeah that was a really interesting time actually um i after i sold my agency i didn't know what the hell i was going to do with the rest of my life which is a really good tip i now give my clients when they're thinking about succession planning is like get clear what you're going to do next so i ended up um i ended up freelancing for a while and edelman asked me to go there and help them pitch for uh, a large telecoms client which they won and then I ended up staying there for 18 months helping them lead that account um, a really different world because this client was paying them a hundred thousand pounds a month um, so you kind of they kind of you can imagine the kind of relationship you had with them they wanted to access you 24 7 um, but definitely kind of it was interesting learning but it taught me I didn't want to work in a big agency yeah that must have been a very strange experience after running your own it was, and it was kind of um, a, a sort of, like I said, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I got this opportunity, went and did it, um, and it sort of took over. And then one day I woke up and said, hang on a second, this isn't, you know, I was earning good money as a freelance sort of um, associate director, but this isn't why I sold my business and this isn't what I want to do. And I think it also taught me that money, you know, whenever you're led by money, you're never going to be really happy. You're much better off being led by a passion and following that passion and earning and on, and on the back of that earning money. Yeah, I think you do have to be structured about it. I think the advice to follow your passion can only take you so far. There, there needs to be some strategy behind that. Completely. I mean, you follow your passion, you could be very poor and very hungry, but yeah. um, 
I guess if you can follow a passion that you enjoy doing and you can earn money from it, then you will uh, enjoy that a lot more rather than just being completely led by money. And, uh, you know, I think that's something perhaps, you know, I'm in my fifties now. So I think that's perhaps something you learn a bit later on in life. I was about somebody very, very wise told me that 42 is the best age to be because you kind of get very comfortable in your own skin. And I was about that age when I was, um, you know, starting off to cost of coaching. Right. I think that's, yeah, I think that's about the age you could possibly be taken seriously as a coach. That sounds terrible. I'm sorry to any young coaches that yeah. I just said that to. But well, you know what? I, I can't, I'm, I'm very gray. So having gray hair definitely helps. And I remember the very first piece of coaching training I did when I discovered, decided I wanted to coach was uh, an NLP practitioner course. And I was, you know, there with a whole bunch of other people. And there was a young guy in his twenties who had been working at um, a big consulting firm and wanted to go out on his own as a coach. And he really struggled to have any kind of credibility because people would look at this 23 year old and think, what on earth, what life experience do you have? What business experience do you have to bring? Actually was very good, but I suspect I um, had the advantage from being older and being grayer. Yeah, possibly. But it's interesting though, because I think a lot of coaching, I mean, if you take the sports analogy, coaching is a discipline that you learn and is a career path in and of itself for a lot of people that they, they, but they often come to that after having been athletes themselves, I guess. Definitely. definitely. Um, I, um, I worked for a coaching firm called Sherlaws for a couple of years um, after Edelman um, and after I'd done my training and I felt like I had, landed on a planet full of people like me they were all people that had worked in business in some place or other had got a little bit disillusioned about it wanted to do something more meaningful and wanted to make a difference in the world and that led them to coaching so you said you're typically working with sme creative agencies so unpack that a little bit for me because one person's sme is another person's large business yeah so i would say my typical client is uh, somewhere between five and a hundred employees. That's pretty broad. So maybe narrow that down again, probably between five and 25 employees. I have some agencies that are much bigger than that, but I feel like they're my sweet spot because they're the places I can make a big difference really quickly with. And they're also very nimble and very willing to, you know, adapt and listen and, and learn and, you know, apply what we talk about. So I think that's, that's my sweet spot. And, and those agencies could be anything from a digital agency to a PR company to a web design, um, you know, a, a, digital, uh, a traditional design agency. So any of those things, really. And you've been doing this longer than most, 11 years. So I'm curious to know, Obviously, in 11 years, trend. 13 years now. I mean, in thir- year 13 now. Yeah. Have you noticed any commonalities in the issues that these agencies seem to have when they come to you? Um, yeah, they usually are in a reasonably confident place. So I think that's one misnomer about coaching that sometimes people feel like you would only get some external help when your business is in trouble. And I think it's absolutely the opposite of that because people only invest in their business when they're feeling confident. 
And I think the commonality is that they have been hitting their head against a brick wall of growth and they want to get to the next stage, but they don't know how to. So that means they might be turning over maybe, um, I don't know, three quarters of a million pounds and they want to grow up to, you know, the next stage of say one and a half million. And so I think that traditionally they've hit the head against a brick wall and they don't know how to get over that brick wall. And they realize that getting some kind of external objective help would be the thing that would help them. And the issues that they would have would be around winning the right kind of client, retaining and growing their existing clients um, retaining and growing great staff. Um, I, I think those are the big kind of things that have stayed fairly consistent, whether the economy is strong or in recession, it seems to be the same that people struggle. Um, when, when things are good, people struggle to find great staff because, you know, it's an employee's marketplace. And when the economy's bad, then people tend to stay in their jobs. So again, people find it difficult to recruit. Um, and I think the third thing, especially for smaller agencies, is how to manage their time. So they're trying to juggle many things and they're probably doing it badly. They're probably not very good at delegating. So they're trying to stay in control of everything all the time. And um, so part of my work would be to you know, change their mindset, help them delegate more, work out what they should be doing and what other people should be doing, that kind of stuff. So I think those things haven't really changed over the last 13 years um yeah I, I identify a lot with that from when i was running a larger agency that those, those issues were issues that were all affecting me um but it's really really difficult a lot of the time to find your way out of that definitely i mean i you know just this week i i was down with one of my um marketing agency clients <clears throat> and um we've been trying to recruit a digital marketing manager I'm just finding it very difficult. And they often ask me to go and sit in on the second interview and bring some objectivity and some expertise to the table that they don't necessarily have. And it's just really difficult. It's just very difficult to find people that, you know, you know, want to work there and have the skills and, you know, so I think the people situation at the moment is, is challenging for everybody, whether you're in London and it's super competitive or you're in a more rural area and it's harder to find people who want to work in that area. Yeah. I think the digital space in particular, I mean, Russell Brunston, we were speaking about earlier on today, he said something like demand for digital marketing skills is growing 60% faster than supply is coming online. And that supply is often coming with a very, very thin veneer of ability and skills. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the client I'm, I just mentioned, I won't mention the name, but, um, they actually hired someone before who came across very well in the interview and within three months had been let go because they just didn't have the skills that they sort of had said claimed they had in the interview. And they were actually, you know, asking to be going to be sent on, uh, you know, training courses to learn more about, um, you know, SEO or AdWords or something. And yet this was a, a marketing manager role. Yeah. And yeah, asking for people to spend money to forgive your ignorance. It's maybe not the best route. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the coaching business that you've got now, you've built it up over quite a long time. I'm curious to know how you go about 
building awareness of what you do because a lot of people the work comes through word of mouth or and referral or it's inbound marketing or it's sort of strategic alliances things like that how do you find the work typically finds you yeah well it's i mean again we were talking about this earlier it's sort of making sure i practice what i preach to my clients because if i met a, a potential client and i asked them how do they get their how do they get their business um and they tell me it all comes through referral or word of mouth then um i sorry let me just turn this off yeah if they if they tell me that all their business comes from word of mouth i would say to them well that's fantastic but how do you have any control over that you have no control about the quality of those referrals you have no control about when those referrals are going to come in so that makes it very difficult to manage the peaks and troughs of you know new business in your agency so that can't be your only strategy so yeah i do get some you know um, work through word of mouth i do quite a lot of local um, networking now i'm based down in brighton in the south of the uk and it is probably the uk's main hub for the creative um, industry so there are a lot of creative businesses in this area which is great so i do quite a lot of work with um, my local chamber and with another um, big networking group called wide sussex and so i run workshops for them i write for those guys so that definitely helps build my profile but i would say that the best um, method for me for building business is uh, giving away kind of really value-added content on my website so i have lots of different ebooks um, some free uh, training courses and i think i build um, my awareness and my credibility by um, giving away those things and of course in exchange getting someone's email address and then nurturing those people to such a time where they're ready to buy um, you know i say to my clients imagine if you have uh, an audience of a hundred people well, at any one time only and those that audience is your ideal marketplace well at any one time probably only one of those people is in enough pain that they're ready to buy from you so what are you doing to nurture the other 99 people because if you don't stay front of mind for those people then when they are ready to buy they will go somewhere else so it's kind of like you um you reset the sand timer every time you communicate with someone and you need to communicate with them again before the sand timer has run out so that looks like my gated content through ebooks and so on and then nurturing those people through uh, both my social media and through my email marketing so, i love the sand timer analogy that's really very nice yeah. i do that with all my clients because a lot of people are kind of naive that they think okay if i do a big um i don't know marketing campaign or if i do a big ad uh, facebook ads campaign it will generate loads of business well of course it won't because like i said if you if you're targeting audience of 100 people you'll be lucky if one of them is ready to buy from you they might all be interested in what you've got to say but un unless you are um curing their pain another thing that i say a lot i mean this isn't original to me but it's so true is that people try to sell vitamin pills to their clients when their clients really need a painkiller and if, you know if someone's got a headache and i say well look if you take this multivitamin pill it will help you they don't care they need an aspirin because they have a headache so are we selling painkillers to our clients when they have a headache because that's when they'll engage with us i am writing that down <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've blogged about that before but i like i said i don't think i'm i came up with that concept originally but it's just so true too many people sell vitamin pills to people who need painkillers 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard that before, and I, re I really like that analogy. And certainly, there's a lesson in there for me personally. So, well, and of course, one of the key lessons there, Bob, is that people need to understand their target customers intimately well, because um, if we don't understand our our target market intimately well, then we don't understand what the pains, the top three pains they have in their business, and we don't um, map our marketing messages and our sales messages to those pains. Yeah, I think what I'd, I'd like to pick out from one of the things you said, I'm, 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 I'm possibly digressing a little bit, okay. but it makes sense in my head. One of the, th the trends that I often see coming up again and again is specialization or niching or niching if you're in America. <laughs> and people can typically do it in one of three ways. They either pick a vertical market, so say carrot farmers, or they pick a technical specialization so motion graphics or copywriting or digital agencies not really that niche of specialism but let's pretend it is um or they are a full service agency um which is not specializing at all but they often will serve a, a, a geographic market so they're specializing in a geography maybe yes in your experience who do you find does best? Um, well, first of all, I cannot say enough how I am a total believer in niching your business um, because the specialist will always win against the generalist and the specialist business can charge higher fees than the generalist. You know, if you need knee surgery, you're not going to go to your doctor, your GP doctor, you're going to go to a knee surgeon specialist and guess what? They would charge a lot more than the GP. So I just, before I answer the question, just want to say I am a big fan of niching um, businesses that would often be my starting point with a lot of clients to try and understand what makes them unique and what their offering is. And I think people, I think there's a third, there's a fourth way you can niche a business as well by the problem that you solve. So you could be, you know, a company that generates leads for all sorts of companies and that's the problem that they're solving for their, um, for their client base. But I, 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 I personally think the vertical um, focus is is a good one, especially in the agency sector. I think if you were if you were running a sort of more of a bricks and mortar company, then geography might make a lot of sense to you. But I think having a specialization by some kind of vertical sector. So for me, just to play this against my story, when I first qualified as a coach, I tried to be a generalist business coach. So that meant in theory that one day I could work with um, say Barclays bank in, you know, in their corporate division and the next day I could go and work with a startup. But guess what? I didn't win the big corporates because I didn't have a compelling story to tell and a background in that. And I didn't, then I'd go and talk to the small startup and, and I tell them that, Oh, I work with Barclays bank. And they'd say, well, you, you won't clearly won't understand me because they, they're so different to what I am. So I didn't win business at all. It was found it very difficult in the first 18 months of being out on my own. And then I took the, um, what felt like a big, brave decision, but in hindsight, wasn't really to niche my business into the marketing agency sector. Um, and then niche it even more by saying, actually, look, my sweet spot is the SME, um, marketing agencies. So, and then my business took off. Um, I had, I could tell a story. I had, you know, it was an area that I knew a lot about. I was really passionate about it. And I had experience, so um, 
so i think yes that for me niching really important and i th- i think you just have to take each business and look at where they've been successful um look at where there is a market for for what they're doing look at where they enjoy working and the kind of where those three things cross over is the sweet spot niche for them mm. so to some extent i don't think it matters how you cut it i just think you have to find a, a true niche um, that really is a niche because a lot of time people think they're niche but they're not really um, and so they just look like everybody else yeah no i, I agree with that it's i'm not sure I, I, I have answered your question very well there but no you kind of have and because the answer is never very straightforward certainly my my own experience having spoken to a lot of people in lots of different kinds of businesses is that the the vertical market people tend to do better um but actually what what you said there about specializing in a problem rather than thinking about it in terms of a niche so if your problem is carpet cleaners needing to promote themselves that's yes it's a it you could call it a vertical market but actually it's a problem for a very specific person another specific person might be a copywriter that needs landing page copy that's a specific problem but being the guy that solves a problem rather than somebody who will just be a general troubleshooter is, is always going to do better yes and i think one of the things once you've worked out where you think your niche is you've got to then be able to identify how you reach that audience so that becomes part of it because if and that's where sometimes people who think they're niched find out they're still too generalist because it's still very difficult to pinpoint exactly how to reach that audience so like if you look at me targeting the kind of creative marketing agency sector it, it is it is fairly straightforward for me to work out where those guys hang out i can join um you know promote myself in groups like wide sussex which is a big you know community of people i can join online groups on facebook or linkedin where those people hang out and once you work out you know how to reach those people you can then work out you know you can then validate your thinking around what are the key issues that they have that my product or service can solve and then you can start building sales and marketing messages that will resonate with that audience yeah i guess the question is if you if you think you've got your niche but you still can't quite work out how to reach those people because it still feels like they're all over the place then you haven't really established your niche well enough yeah no that's absolutely true i think what i'd like to look at next is okay rob de costa you get the phone call somebody wants to have a chat one of the one of the reasons i'm asking this is we have people who in in, a, in my audience who offer elements of coaching as part of what they do and everybody does it kind of differently um i'm curious to know what your delivery looks like if you see what i mean so you get the call what happens next yeah so um I, let me give you a really fantastic one of the best value things i tell all my clients to do so um all of your audience should do this as well is create a working with document so i have a a document called working with rob so if someone contacts me through my website or email um, or they could book a strategy call with me the very first thing i'm going to do is send them this working with rob document and it is a fantastic qualifier so what it does is it tells people a little bit about the process and it asks them a number of questions that they need to complete before I will engage with them on the phone. And so one of those questions is why is now a good time for you to be embarking on coaching, which is such a good question. 
Um, and then the um, next question, a bit more obvious questions like what are the three top three biggest challenges that you are facing in your agency today? And so, and, and the, other, the other thing it has, which is the really important part, it has some sense of my pricing. Because, you know, I'm sure, you know, people will relate to this where you get a phone call from someone, you spend an hour on the phone with them or you go and meet with them. You've invested quite a lot of your time and then you put a proposal together with a budget and they just say, oh no, that's way beyond what I can afford. So I tell all my clients to create this working with document. And if, if they can't give, like I can give a fairly clear indication of what my face-to-face -face coaching costs, what my Skype coaching costs, I can give that. But some people can't do that because it's a bit more amorphous. So what I tell them to do is create three case studies and they don't even have to be real. They can say client A asked us to do this. So if you're a web design company, client A wanted a simple um, kind of brochureware website. This is what we did. This is how much it cost. Client, client B wanted a more interactive website. This is what we did. This is how much it cost. Client C wanted an e-commerce platform-based website for their shop. This is what we did. This is how much it cost. So you're giving the low, medium and high cost version. And then you send that to the client. So that's the first thing I would say is that you use that to help qualify. Because if you think about a sales funnel from being wide at the top and narrow at the bottom, your time almost needs to be inverse to that. So at the top of the sales funnel, you want to invest very little of your time because that's really your precious commodity. And the more qualified a contact becomes, the more you want to invest your time with them. So the very first thing I do is send that out to people. And I say to them, have a read of this. If that all feels good, then let's jump on a phone call. And so that qualifies some people out straight away which is fine. And then the people who come back and say, yeah, can we have a call? I would jump on a call with them and I would just explore a bit more in sort of fact finding mode, what their challenges are in their agency, um, what the structure of their agency looks like, a little bit about what their aspirations are, what they've done so far, you know, get a bit more of a kind of roadmap and understanding of their agency. And from that point, I would either agree to meet with them or I would put together a very short, email outlining what we discussed and then a, a cost for moving forward. I really try and avoid writing proposals. I think one of the great things about the coaching world is that, you know, unlike my world of marketing is that I don't need to write really lengthy proposals. And then once the client's okay with that, we would schedule our first coaching session. And I typically work with clients um, face to face once a month. So I'll probably work with them about half a day a month. I think that's enough time to do some meaningful work, but not so much time that it becomes intrusive on their sort of day-to-day -day work. Yeah. Um, and we, the first sessions look like fact finding. So really digging deep into the um, business, really listening for where the energy is and where, where the challenges are. And that will give us an indication of, of where we're going to start work. Now, often that looks like capturing their vision strategy and plan. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are scared away by those words because they sound like some highfalutin, you know, need to have a very clear mission statement and, you know, and, and it doesn't seem very helpful. Whereas I'm a bit more pragmatic than that. I'm just kind of saying, look, let's work out where your destination is in three or four years time. Then let's work out the steps you need to get there. So the destination looks like the vision, the steps look like the strategy and then the detailed action plan for the next month is basically a to-do list for your business. Yeah. So I, I read something really nice you said online, which was 
think of your goals as an island and yeah. the strategy as your path to get there. And yeah. that was really, really a nice, simple way of putting it because it's often quite hard to articulate that. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, the one thing I tell people is that creating your vision strategy and plan is a really quick process. It should be done within probably two sessions. It's not a long process. I have lots of tools and templates that I've refined over the years. And one thing I would say about what I do is that although my brand name is DaCosta Coaching, I kind of feel like I'm often not a coach. I'm everything in between that from a coach to a mentor to a consultant a bit sometimes um, to a shoulder to cry on to a, a trusted advisor and everything in between really. And I think people need different things at different times. Um, and it's that objective viewpoint, that that um, fact that you know someone's in your corner but will tell you like it is. I tell my clients I'm here to support your business. So if that means I have to say something really difficult to you, then I will do. And I think really what you've just described is the ideal coach. I think a lot of people confuse a coach and a mentor. A coach is there to tell you what to do. Yes. That's it. Um, whereas a mentor is really there to tease out uh, and, and encourage rather than actually tell you what to do because they know this works. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, definitely. And like I say, people need different things at different times. I actually find that the labels of coaching, mentoring, consulting aren't actually very helpful because yeah. people um, you know, get confused by it. One of the things I forgot to mention that I do right at the beginning is to ask people what success would look like in the coaching program. So if they were to start working with me, what would a great outcome be for them? Because yeah. we, need, we need to measure ourselves against those outcomes. I'm a big, big, big fan of getting all my clients to do this. I think value selling is a whole different topic, but it's really important. And we, we do that by making sure that our clients understand what they're trying to achieve and have some way of measuring the journey against those outcomes. Yeah, I think when I mean, you mentioned value selling, I'd like to come onto that in a minute, but you're absolutely right. It's, I think a lot of us, particularly in small businesses, we get so focused on just making payroll yes. that we forget to really look over the horizon. Uh, okay, you've been in survival mode for so long. And survival mode, I'm not talking about a desperate situation, but for a lot of businesses, just crossing the line at the end of the month after having paid everybody, that's job done. Yeah. And how, how, you know, that's just really stressful for everybody involved. That is not an enjoyable way to run a business. And as I said at the beginning, people come to coaches when they have hit some kind of brick wall. And that would often be it, that sense of taking one step forward and two steps back, two steps forward and one step back. And never being able to move beyond the now is kind of, you know, and, and if we don't, <clears throat> excuse me, if we don't know where we're going with our business, then we will never know whether we're going to get there. And, you know, so that's why the vision piece is so important. If we've got, I, I, the other analogy I often use with people is to say, you know, imagine if we um, have decided we want to go to the South of France, well, we've got, that's our vision. So first of all, we need to know that we will want to go there. And the second thing is if we just say go, then, well, we might get there, but we may well run out of fuel. We may not have enough money. We may end up sleeping in the car. Um, so the strategy is to work out, well, actually, we need to cross the, you know, cross the channel on a ferry, 
on this date and all the rest of it. So we, we need to have those plans because getting to the south of France is exciting. And, and if everybody is aligned to saying, yeah, we all want to get to the south of France, then, you know, we've got a common, a common goal for the agency. If we're just existing, then we don't really know where we're going. And, and what happens then is that the external factors will, will, will dictate that journey. And when, you know, external factors are the thing that determines our success, that's not good. No. So one of the things you mentioned was client retention. And I think in an agency business, in any business, there are a few levers you can pull that will influence your success or failure. One of them is sales. One of them is your productivity. But actually an important one is retention. And a lot of people forget about that. Once you've won the customer, that's the job only partly done. And I know in my own business in the past, there was a period where we probably were not delivering where I would have hoped we were. And we were losing customers as fast as I was winning them. And had we kept those, we would have been in amazing shape. Uh, So what advice would you have anybody to really amplify the acceleration, uh, amplify the retention of clients in their business? It sounds very simple. There will be some simple answers, but there'll be some not so simple ones too, I'm sure. Sure. So first of all, I am... I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm not quite sure when this is going to be published, but in September um, 2019, all of my content is around client retention. So each month I have a theme and September's client retention. So this is a perfect um, conversation to have, really. Um, I think it starts with, with winning the right kind of client, because if you don't win your ideal target client, then you will find it much harder to service them to a level that both you're happy with and most importantly, they're happy with. So it starts by making sure you're clear about who your target customer is um, because they will understand you and you will understand them. And then it's, then it's um, the next thing is making sure that whoever's doing the selling isn't over-promising because if you win a client and you have promised them the earth and you can't deliver that, then of course they're going to be very disappointed very quickly. And so you're going to be in this cycle of winning business and losing business. No one wants to have that revolving door in their in their agency of clients coming in and clients going out um and then i think the next thing is making sure that the whole team on that client account understands the objectives and isn't just so focused on the day-to-day tactics that they um they miss uh you know they miss the bigger picture it's interesting i have a pr client at the moment that um does a payment by results um approach and that makes them look different and it's but it i'm i think it's a really double-edged sword because it helps them win business but the payment by results objectives they set are not always aligned with the overall business goals so at some point someone says hang on a second this isn't really working and it encourages the agency staff just to focus on delivering those payment by results and so what the, the next tip I would give um, is to make sure that you um, probably every quarter do some account development planning. And this is really, really important. So this is where the, the team that works on that account stops having an operational tactical conversation and stands back from the account and says, OK, let's do a bit of a SWOT analysis. Let's understand where our strengths and weaknesses are. Um, let's see if we can counter some of the weaknesses and threats. Um, let's capture some contact information, some financial information. Let's set our own objectives on what we can do to 
retain and grow that account. So they may set some, um, so for example, a weakness might be that we only have one contact in that agency, sorry, with our client. So one of our objectives for the next quarter is to build some additional relationships because obviously if that person left, we would be in trouble. Um, it might also be that we are only selling, uh, I don't know, web development services to this particular client. How do we get into sales and SEO services to those guys as well? So let's work out what our strategy is for that. So I would say that every company for their key accounts should be doing this account development planning. And that means stopping once a quarter for a couple of hours and, and having this high level strategic uh, discussion which results in some outcomes and actions that um, the agency can go and deliver. Because let's face it, if a client is complaining, you're already on a slippery slope to losing them. And, and you don't want to be in reactionary mode. What you want to do is foresee any potential challenges you have and address them before the client does so that you, know, you, you continue to build loyalty and demonstrate that you're more than just a, you know, a tactical provider. Yeah, that all makes so much sense, but it does require that you make a, the discipline of actually raising your head up out of the trenches, which I think so few do because they're so bogged down in this hamster wheel of winning the projects, getting the projects done. Yeah, and, that, and that's what, you know, that's one of the things I teach people. So I would, I have a really great sort of A3 sized um, sheet that they can use there's a template they can use for account development planning and you literally can put it on the center of the table and get everybody around and that kind of leads the discussion to discuss different areas of that client but absolutely it's like all of this stuff if you don't if you're just stuck on the hamster wheel constantly trying to deliver business then when you feel like a client's in trouble you're going to make them make the mistake of going i know what we've got to do we've got to over service this client because otherwise they're not going to be happy with us. And guess what? The minute you start over-servicing the client, you've set a new level of expectation around the level of service you're going to deliver. And if you stop over-servicing them, then they're going to be disappointed, even if that over-servicing isn't something that they're paying for. I think so many people will identify with that. Yeah. There's I always tell people, look, there's two ways you shouldn't win business. You shouldn't win business by being cheaper than the competition, unless you truly are an online commoditized business. And you shouldn't win business by promising um, unsustainable levels of service because they're both, you know, the first one will lead you to be very unprofitable and the second one will lead you to be very stressed and have high turnover of clients. That's very, very good advice. So I guess what I'd like to go now is just look into your business a little bit. Obviously, you've been doing this for a long time. You're, you are where you are now. Yeah. What are your goals for your business? Well, it's it's interesting, really, um, when you think about um, kind of cycles in business and not uh, and avoiding burnout, um, because like I said, I'm in year 13 of, of this now. And I found personally that I need to keep evolving what I do in order to stay kind of fresh and excited and, and all the rest of it. So um, a few years ago, I started dabbling in the online um, world believing all the hype I read online of making you know um, passive income in your sleep waking up every morning and finding that you've made another thousand pounds um, and quickly learned that the reality is so so far from that um, I, I think for every pound I've earned so far I've probably spent 20 pounds to earn it um, but I've learned a lot so in the last couple of years I've certainly learned a lot so I have um, a bunch of online courses 
which are predominantly based on the courses that my clients have asked me to deliver for their staff. So they might be things around client and account management. There might be things around presentation skills, um, how to sell, um, um, all that kind of stuff. And they do okay, um, but you know, I'm certainly not going to be living on that desert island um, earning money from those courses. So I'm just at the moment working on a new kind of hybrid coaching program that will be delivered online, but will consist of um, like an onboarding one-to-one Skype Skype call with a new client, a checkpoint halfway through, and uh, another one-to-one call at the end of the program. Then weekly um, weekly group coaching calls with the group that are, are participating in the program, and a roadmap for people that will be specific to each individual. So that's something that I'm looking at launching later on this year. And this time I'm trying to do this properly. So at the moment I'm knee deep in validating validating the idea. I think a lot of us are guilty of having an idea, being convinced that our marketplace needs that idea. Uh, going hell for leather to develop that course or that idea and then finding that actually people don't want to do it and guess what that's because you're selling a vitamin pill instead of a painkiller yeah um yeah so i'm at the moment just validating this i I haven't actually started developing the course yet i just kind of created a structure for it and i'm working with three focus groups to validate it to help me refine it um both in terms of the content in terms of the presentation of that course and also in terms of the pricing so that's probably something I'm going to launch early next year. Well, I think from what you've described and what I know of the problem, having probably been your target customer at one point, I think you'll do very well when it finally does come together. And I'd love to help you promote it when you finally get there. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. I think what I've learned is that there's a lot of noise on the online world at the moment, and it's challenging to cut through that noise. There's a lot of people claiming all sorts of things that are not true and that they can't deliver. And so it's, you know, finding a way of cutting through that noise. So for me, doing podcasts like this are fantastic because people can hear, you know, directly from me. And again, some of the um, eBooks and content I have on my website helps build that credibility and helps build that audience. But it is quite a challenge to, you know, be the sort of authentic real person amongst all those people claiming to do, you know, uh, crazy things for you. Yeah. Well, I would definitely encourage anybody listening, if they identify with what Rob's been saying, you have an incredible amount of content on the website um, and unusually high quality as well. I, I have done my research and had a good rummage around. It's really good stuff there. Rob, Rob, if people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? Uh, two ways, really. First of all, obviously, I've been talking quite a lot about the web, the website. So um, www.dacostacoaching, that's D-A-C-O-S-T-A, coaching.co.uk, or drop me an email at robert at dacostacoaching.co.uk. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter as well, but probably my website and my email are the best ways of getting in touch with me. Well, there'll be short links to that in the show notes. Um, but for now Rob DaCosta DaCosta Coaching thank you so much for your time you've been a great guest fantastic thanks Bob so I guess the big question for you is are you selling vitamins when clients want painkillers don't forget to check out Rob's website as there really is a ton of good stuff there 
If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and it's the very best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Rob for giving us his time this week and to you for listening. And see you next week. <laughs>